right? This is episode seven with Cliff Dumas. I've known Cliff for a very, very long time. A uh, wonderful guy and very, very talented. Uh, he's been definitely in the music industry, uh, on the broadcasting end of things for uh, a long time. He's one of the best there is. Uh, multi-award winner um, and just uh, a great person to hang out with. I really enjoyed this conversation. Uh, I went up to Hamilton. Uh, it's uh, Country Music Week here in Canada, Canadian Country Music Week, and we chatted there and uh, went to the Legends show afterwards, and uh, that was a lot of fun. So hope you enjoy it. Here it comes. All right, we're rolling. We're here in Hamilton with Cliff Dumas. Awesome to see you. Nice to see you. It's been, uh, I don't know how many years. It feels it feels too long, yeah. honestly. It's been, it's been um, I think when you bump into people that you, you've known in the industry for any length of time, that you realize how much time has passed <laughs> since yeah. you've actually seen each other. It's, it's uh, mind-blowing, really. I think it's the cool thing about, especially the Canadian music industry, but music industry in general, is that you can have a relationship with someone, friends, or you work together, or you do whatever, and then 10, 15, 20, 25 years can mm-hmm. roll by. Yeah. And all of a sudden, it's like you can just, bam, pick up like you. Well, it's, it's a tight community. You know, the, the people that I, I met when I was first starting are, you know, went on to, you know, run the record companies at some point, even though they might have started as record representatives at the, at the time. And I, I, where did I first meet you and your family? Was that the Ontario country music singing contest or something well yeah well could be like uh both kim and brad my brother and sister sang years ago at the mm-hmm. simcoe simcoe that was it country singing Pardon contest me, this is, yeah that yeah. Was, i think they rebranded the name at some point yeah, yeah. that was it simcoe yeah. oh my god i spent so many very warm weekends in that yeah that arena that arena yeah you know that you kind of forget about that contest but that was a really significant event. It was. It, uh, thousands of people yeah. showed up for that, camped outside. Hundreds of people uh, participated. It, it was the precursor to you know the voice and the American idols that we see on broadcast today, for sure. Yeah, I kind of miss those. I mean, it seems like the new events that happen like that, like you said, the idols. But even in Canada, there's there's not a lot there for people to get out in front of people and then all those people they used that used to pack that arena it used to be like mm-hmm. you said thousands of people come out for that um and people would really that would make the whole weekend and that would be that was a big deal it's you know it's interesting you say that because i think that it's a challenge for young artists today to to make an impact to gain the experience you need in front of a live audience to to really hone your craft because what do you do now you you sit in your room probably by yourself performing to Instagram or Facebook and yeah. that's not to say that that's not valuable because it gives you uh, practice and, and you you gain an audience which the record companies actually look at now before they sign an artist it's not yeah. just on your song and your ability do you have a social following so it's a very impactful and important part of a strategy for a career now but um, it, it's it's missing when you get to the point where you want to perform in front of an audience and learn what it's like to entertain beyond just singing a song, right? Yeah, because there's a lot lot to that. Mm -hmm. You get in front of an audience and you learn every single time. And even today, I just finished a show today, and uh, 
even today you learn something, right? Like I've done thousands of shows. So, but there's something you can always learn from every single show you do. And every single one you do, you get a little better, a little better, Mm -hmm. a little better, a little better. You see, you know, maybe someone in the audience isn't, eyes are going somewhere different. You you figure, okay, I need to get that person engaged, Mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. And you start, you really learn how to make every single person in the audience count. And that's hard to do when, you know, you're sitting in front of your iPhone and doing an Instagram video. Sure it is, yeah. Because you don't know, there's no reaction there. It's no, just, no. Hey, there's likes, yeah. and I think there's too much too much pressure that that the generation today, and we all do, we, we put on ourselves because it's that shot of adrenaline you get when you hear a bing that yeah. your post got a like. And, you're in, and, and that's not a real reaction. That could no. be, half of those could be fake reactions, right? How many people are just liking to make sure that you like them back or mm-hmm. do you know that person actually looked at it or watched it or actually really you know we've all done it you know you go through and it's like oh yeah i better like that or i better like that. <laughs> so it's, it's 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 a bit false in a way but yet still important you know well yeah i think the reality is it's not going away it's yeah. here to stay we have to embrace it you have to learn how to manage it and i think the trick is it should not be about the likes it should be about the content yeah you know, if you're doing great, compelling, interesting content, whatever that happens to be, uh, you continue continue to do that consistently, then the audience that you're hoping to build will eventually find you because that's just the way it works. Yeah, because if you're, I said to a friend of mine the other day, who's up for an award for a musician of the year award, I'm not going to say who it is, um, and you know they're talking about the awards and and what they mean and they haven't got the award before. So I said, if you're good, everyone knows already. Mm-hmm. And that's really the, the truth. It's nice to get the award, it's nice to be nominated and all that, but if you are good, and it goes for anything, if you're on Facebook, or you're on Instagram, if you're good, you're gonna stand out. And people will notice whether it's the amount of likes or not the amount of likes. Mm-hmm. And you just gotta make sure that you perform great every single time you do it. And it's interesting because, you know, so many people now you watch on, on Facebook or Instagram, those things, and sometimes I look and say, oh, why did they post that? <laughs> you know, and then, because yeah. there could be one great video, you, you kind of go, oh, they, they seem really great, I really mm-hmm. like that, and all of a sudden, and some of them you can't control. Some of them are, you know, here's your buddy out taking a live video of mm-hmm. your sound check or something. You have no control over what, this, what it sounds like, what it looks like, and, and all that. And all of a sudden, bam, it pops up. And you don't even really know that the person was doing it. But then that's there, mm-hmm. right? You have Forever. To, yeah. yeah. And you can't always, um, a friend of mine years ago always said when I was recording and doing, producing a lot, and sometimes at the end of the day, you always do a, a quick mix, right? Here's, oh, can I take something home? Mm-hmm. And back then, you know, at the beginning, huh, throw it on a cassette. It was great. So you do that. And then once I got burnt from that, because it was, I know it was a long 12-hour day. You're in the studio all day. I said, can I take something home? You just throw up the faders and send it out. Right. Well, that tape got to another artist I knew, and they listened to it. And I I heard later that they made a judgment of my skills from listening to that little board tape. Right. And that's the same thing. I mean, that little bit 
of something that got snuck out. It's like, yeah, that's just for you to listen to. It's not anything. But and then, it, but it's there. Mm-hmm. It's still there. You can't walk around behind everything you do and say, but. Yeah, there's no, there's, there's no, no excuse. There's you know? no buts in life for sure. Yeah, yeah. So let's go back real quick. Um, where, did, where, where did you grow up? I don't even really know. Uh, where you based your beginnings from? In Ontario. Yeah. I was born in Toronto. Um, spent most of my career here. Yeah. Uh, you know, the the real... Career-wise, I, 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 I took graphic design at Sheridan College in Oakville, Ontario. So that oh. was really my passion in the arts and found radio for some reason. Um, as a summer job, I, I, I got a job at the CBC pulling cable or something and the older guys kind of saw that I was enthusiastic enthusiastic, and embraced me and taught me some things. And I, I, I took that to heart and I worked on it. Yeah. But I never went to school for broadcasting. Um, but I enjoyed being creative and uh, being able to create imagery, theater of the mind, which was radio and continues to be. That's what podcasting is. Yeah. Uh, you can create so much imagery with just sound in your voice that you would need thousands of dollars of, of production money in order to do that in a visual sense. Yeah. Um, plus, I think the, the idea of, of being coveted and uh, doing something you believe in was always really important to me. So found uh, broadcast, got into radio, worked in a couple of small markets, all in the general vicinity, and then um, was hired at a radio station called Cham in Hamilton. Yeah. It was a rock station at the time. And I was young. I was in my early 20s. Uh, and that was fun. Um, and then one day they said, uh, we're changing formats. We're changing to country music. I remember that. And I thought, oh, my God. I, I don't know anything about country music. Uh, I was 20 years old. I was listening to rock, Boston. I mean, that, that was the music of my era, uh, Earth, Wind, and Fire. But country music was Conway Twitty and and the older generation, uh, Waylon Jennings, all, you know, Johnny Cash. My dad listened to Johnny Cash, so I, I knew some of the names in the genre. But, but I knew nothing. So I started to panic a little bit. I was kind of new and raw in the industry. And I reached out to a mentor, which I think is really important for young people today, is to reach out to the people that you covet, yeah. you know, especially on social media. If, if they're worth their salt, they're there to, to, to honor what they do by sharing their knowledge with you. Yeah, totally and, agree. and if they don't, they're not worth following. No. Uh, but I did that, and I reached out to um, a, a gentleman. I said, I'm not sure what I want to do here. And he said, well, let me ask you a question. Do you want to communicate, be a communicator in your life, or do you want to play the music that, that you've grown up with and you like? And I thought about that for a minute, and I chose communicator because I thought that that was the grown-up thing to do. Yeah. And I could play Boston and Earth, Wind & Fire and all the songs that I was into at the time when I got home. Uh, it was the best decision I ever made because the moment that that station turned country in a city like Hamilton that was that coveted the genre and really was eager to hear that kind of music, just embraced it in a way that I don't think anybody really anticipated. And the first live event, which was a Dallas, night, Dallas a nightclub in Hamilton, was packed, and the response that we received as the people to, that initiated this this concept was overwhelming. And uh, from that moment on, I never looked back. It was thirty something years ago. So I went from Hamilton to Toronto. You know, that's covering about twenty years of my life. Uh, CMT wrote for the CBC, 
wrote the uh, CCMAs for 20 years and, and co-produced some of those years, uh, been part of that organization for 30, part of the board of directors now. Um, and then when the country station in Toronto went away, I had the opportunity to go to the United States, and, and that's where I've spent the, a, a big chunk of my life up until just recently when I decided to turn the page on on radio. So that's 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 my life and what about, I don't know how long that took, yeah. two minutes and 30 seconds. Yeah, that's 30 good. seconds. All right. Well, that's the end of the podcast. Yeah, there you go. Thanks, <laughs> thanks for tuning in today. Well, you, you go back to to Cham, and you look at things now and look at things back then. Mm-hmm. Cham was really significant. It was. I mean, it, there it yeah. was a big deal, and it mm-hmm. became a big station, and people really got behind it. And, you know, I remember being younger, and that that was a big deal. And what a difference between now and then Mm -hmm. and you know people listen to music so differently now i mean it must make you feel good that you kind of went through uh being a broadcaster at that era right truly yeah because it now trying to do it it's it's a whole different ball game it really is and i think that that uh, i mean it was a significant time you know because it was an am station first of all prior to FM really taking over, um, but it had a massive signal. So when I joined them, it was on, I think, uh, dial at 1280 that didn't cover a, a big listening area, and they they won a bigger frequency, which pretty much covered the province. Yeah. So you have this massive station um, that you could listen to virtually anywhere in Ontario uh, and into the United States. And, and we just had a remarkable group of people um, that bonded as a family that were the reason that was the reason that station was successful. Now I was in a pivotal role of that station and and probably get more accolades, but it's honestly not deserving because there were so many people that worked incredibly hard. It was the first and only station that's ever won a CMA yeah. in, in the country. Uh, some have been nominated, but nobody's you know crested that hill yet. Um, and it really was you know from Keith James down through the likes of Mark LaPointe and, and uh, you know, the dozens of other people that, that made that radio station what it was. It was really, really something to be part of. And I think it really only happens once or twice in your life where you, you, you look back on it and go, wow, uh, that was a once-in-a-lifetime experience. What was it like going into country music when that wasn't really your wheelhouse? You know what I mean? When your station changed and mm-hmm. all of a sudden... How do you make that transition? Do you just have to just kind of go for it? And, and, but do you do, back then, obviously you didn't have the internet, you're not Googling the artists and doing all this type of research. How do you, how do you dive into that? Well, sure, I mean, it's old school, it's libraries, it's reading, it's, yeah. it's uh, all the things you have to do to research. But I, I think that the, the thing that I found so compelling, still do, and why I'm still passionate about doing whatever I can to help artists in this genre is, is that there is no better storytellers in music than in country music. Yeah. And uh, it was a music that connected. It was a music that uh, families could listen to. But, it, you know, it, it, it grew as a universe because on one end you could have partying music and then at the other end you could have uh, beautiful love stories and, and or, or songs of heartbreak. I mean, it really captured... Uh, whatever emotion you happen to be feeling at a time. And I think that that's 
that's the evolution of country music over time. That's never changed. Uh, the constant has been um, engaging and compelling storytelling. Yeah. So th- that's what I think drew me to it at the time. Uh, musically, it was different than I had been listening to. But I think that that combined with the audience's reaction and along with that, uh, a, a, a real sense of celebrity that went along with a radio station that just doesn't happen anymore. Yeah. You know, we would we did a series of joke books at the time when all the money went to charity. And we would show up at Cole's bookstores and there'd be two or 300 people standing in line to meet us. I mean, yeah. us, what are, what, are, what are you doing? You know, and, and I look back at that now and I, I'm sure I took that for granted back then because it was just, that was the norm. Yeah. And you, you certainly don't see that today. No, it's, it's way different. Yeah. Unless you're on TV. TV yeah, sure. Yeah. Sure. If you're a legitimate celebrity, <laughs> then for sure. But you just don't think of radio that way anymore. Uh, certainly back then we didn't. We were surprised every time we showed up, uh, up at something and there was an audience there. Yeah, and you you were as big as the artist back then. I remember that. I mean, it's you, yeah, I don't know about that. But yeah, I but you were. That. Thanks. The it was you were as important as you know going to see an artist. You know, and especially you know you'd come out maybe introduce a concert and stuff, and there was huge reactions, right? And, yeah, you um, know, it really was, and I that, I still think about that today. Is 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 again? It, it uh, uh, I try to share that experience. There's no really no way to capture that and share yeah. that experience with your kids, but I, I certainly tell the stories of, you know, when Dad was younger. Um, but it it was really thrilling to be part of what was happening at that time. And you're right. I mean, the reactions that that we received as the the announcers uh, on that radio station, and and to some extent on Kiss FM in Toronto, but not not the same, uh, was truly something that I'll always remember for sure. That's why I'm kind of interested in the podcasting world now, mm-hmm. where I think a bit of that's coming back to some degree, because I think in the podcast world, you have more time to talk, right? Mm-hmm. And you get you have more time to become familiar with the person who's doing the podcast. And then they seem almost like you get to know them, and they almost become somewhat of a celebrity to you as well. Certainly, yeah. And I know yeah. there's a bunch of podcasts I listen to, and there's some that are just, you know, guys talking about Macs, you know, computers and stuff. Mm-hmm. But you listen to them over and over again, and you hear the stories, and you get to know about them. And there's a few out there that I'd really like to meet that guy, yeah. you know? And there's very few music artists I feel that way. You know, you, you mm-hmm. work in the music industry, and you know, it's always neat to meet someone that you're interested in or you like their music. But for me, some of these podcast holes, like I'd be more interested in meeting this guy from Seattle who does a, you know, a podcast about Mac computers than some of the country artists that I know. It's 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 interesting. Well, I have a theory about that, and I think you've probably identified one of the reasons why uh, personalities in radio were so important and should be and continue to be to some extent. But corporate radio has kind of uh, muted that, yeah, uh, because it's all about the numbers. They want to play the music. You know, let's face it. If if a personality gets big, they have to pay them appropriately to hang on to them. That cuts into their bottom line, um, and it, it's cyclical. And, and that's really, I think, been the thing that's probably hurt broadcast uh, to a great extent. But there's still some some wonderful talent uh, out there yeah. doing amazing 
amazing work. And you take a look at the superstars of radio today, Ryan Seacrest. Yes, he's, he's gone beyond beyond radio, but there's uh, Bobby Bones uh, mm-hmm. in country. So there's some substantial talent out there uh, doing remarkable things, but they have multiple platforms to do that on. Yeah. Now, and podcasting, for me, I'm the same way. I, I want to listen to um, select a select type of content when I want to listen to it. That's what it is. I mean, it's really taken radio and put it on demand yeah. and, and given you a universe of, of people, everybody from Oprah to B'nai Brown to Gary Vee. I mean, pick your expert. And and it you could take university courses for free for the most part in a podcast environment. I mean, that's... That's pretty powerful. Yeah, I find it very educational. Mm-hmm. I've learned more from listening to podcasts over the last few years than I have probably in the last 20 years of just, you know, trying to do my thing. Mm-hmm. And it's great because you always, I love learning, you know, and I love being able to listen to something where someone's talking about something I don't know or something I'm interested in that I could find something new about. And I find the podcasting world's very uh, interesting portion of that. I, I like it a lot. Well, you're right, because podcasting gives you the time to immerse yourself in the topic. Yeah. Radio gives you, speaking from experience, the introduction to a song yeah. or a maximum of three minutes. You know, uh, I can't tell you how many conversations I've had over the years with consultants and uh, people who would you know, critique your work and their opinion would be, well, that took you three minutes. Yeah. As opposed to, you should have done it in 60 seconds. And my pushback has always been, career-wide, uh, has, yes, but what we did was compelling. Yeah. So if it's three minutes and it's boring, well, that's a different conversation. But if it's three minutes and you took somebody on a journey and they stuck with that for three minutes or 30 or an hour or whatever a podcast happens to be, then, then it, it's... If the content answers that basic question, is it compelling? And the answer is yes, then length is irrelevant. Yeah, I agree with that. That's interesting thinking back, you know, you moved to Toronto and worked in Toronto for a long time. It's interesting, and I always found it interesting, that there really isn't a country station in Toronto. I know, that still blows me away that nobody's taken that format. I, 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 I'm amazed that one of the big Companies, you know, like like the company that owns CMT, mm-hmm. didn't make a companion radio station. How is that not even possible? And now, Kiss had a relatively weak signal, but through some brilliant marketing, was top five when I worked there. Yeah. Now, their downfall was that the the operators of that country station weren't country. Yeah. You know, I was really the only country guy that actually worked at the radio station and was an advocate for, okay, look, you know, if you're going to play the bare naked ladies, <laughs> that's going to be a hard sell to the core country audience. Yeah. And I think the thing that they did wrong was they tried to market to everybody that wasn't country and forgot about the people that were listening to them because they were. Yeah. And that started to erode the audience that they had. So, you know, management made some huge mistakes. Unfortunately, because, you know, it, it could have continued. And when I started to see that happen and I couldn't really do anything to affect the change, um, it was time for me to go. Yeah. You know, so, uh, but listen, my, my experience there and to be part of launching a radio station like they did has never been done before in Canada. And they did it successfully. And that was a juggernaut. Great group of people, very talented radio uh, people. And, and it was a thrilling part of my career. Uh, 
but I learned a lot of lessons from watching people make mistakes. Yeah. It's funny where you, I was talking about that this, the other day, and I've been doing a lot of touring lately and going to a lot of theaters, and someone asked me, well, you must learn a lot when you're on the road, and that must help you with your own theater. And I said, funny enough, it does, but it teaches me more of what not to do mm-hmm. than what to do. And I, th- I find that found that very interesting. It's like, yeah, I just I'm able to go through and see. Yeah, I I got to make sure we don't do that, or mm-hmm. we got to make sure we. Don't do it. And you get more of that than you do of learning what to do. Right? It's and it, it's a funny circumstance. Well, you, you, I mean, you you in all your years, and I think this is true of anybody that's been in the business for any length of time. Is that you have a foundation. Mm-hmm. You can identify what's what's good and what's not good, and I think we can always learn and we can always refine whatever it is that our skill set happens to be. It's a singer, it's a producer, it's a player, it's you know whatever. Um, I, I think the challenge there is to always to be open to understanding that that journey never ends. Yeah. That you always have to continually practice your craft. It's practiced and learned over time, and you're never as good as you could be. Yeah. Um, and that's part of the fun of this. Really, and I, and I think identifying the things that don't resonate with you are, are as powerful as identifying the things. What? Well, oh, you know what? I do that really well. I can I can augment that in some way. But I think you're right. I think that uh, uh, crit- critique exists to strengthen us in some way. Yeah. Right. And the, the challenge as a performer is to not take that personally yeah. and say, okay, how do I take that information or that critique and I make myself better because of it? Yeah. So what was it like when you moved to the U.S.? What, what did you find the difference between working for a U.S. station and working in Canada? What was the biggest difference? Well, the in most cases, there were multiple country stations in the same market. Yeah. That was just, you, you, don't, you don't get that in, in Canada. Um, my first foray into the United States was was going to be Chicago. And that was the reality. I was excited to go to a top three market in in. Uh, in uh, the United States, but that that didn't work out. I ended up taking a job in Albuquerque, New Mexico, of all places, because um, I thought, you know what, if I'm going to do this, I want to go small, um, because immigration had to be taken care of and all of that. It was pre-9-11. Uh, and they were willing to do everything that it required, in, including wait the requisite you know, three months to get me and my wife, Lisa, to the United States on green cards. Yeah. And I think at that time they 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 pulled some strings, but I, I you know it, it's a process Still for takes sure. Time, yeah. yeah, so they paid for it. They they did everything, uh, and uh, that was something that that nobody else was willing to do. So it was well, okay. Well, let's let's go and experience Albuquerque, which I had never known anything about other than Bugs Bunny should have turned right in the cartoons or, or left. I'm not sure <laughs> should have turned left at Albuquerque. I, yeah. That's the only thing I knew about Albuquerque. Uh, but it was a great experience. And then, so that was the entrance into the United States. Uh, 9-11 happened during that experience. So to be part of a community that was military-based, and yeah. most of the big cities are, but I mean, it was, it was air base right there, yeah. was probably one of the most powerful events of my life. Just to see how they rallied as a, as, a, as, a, as a community, as a society, as a nation was really, really something. So we spent a couple of years there, and then it was like, you know what? It's time to move to a bigger city again. And uh, 
a couple bumps along the road, but eventually I ended up in uh, San Diego mm-hmm. for a big chunk of that, almost a decade, at a, a radio station called KSON. And that was a wonderful experience, great people. I, I like to say it was very Canadian. Uh, they were very accepting of the fact that I was Canadian. In fact, I, I think by population, L.A. would be Canada's second biggest province or something. It's, it's yeah, a yeah, phenomenal exactly, number, yeah. right? Yeah. Um, so there's a lot of Canadians there. It was, it was a very c- cool community, and weather was fantastic. It was a great country town. Um, so, yes, we spent a better part of almost a decade in California. Uh, we became citizens, so I'm dual citizens. Uh, dual citizen, and my uh, youngest daughter was born there, so we, we made her Canadian as well. Yeah. And then uh, as that started to wind down, um, I realized that the, the industry was transitioning. They were having some budgetary issues. Um, they started to systematically let go the team I had all the success with. Yeah. And in <laughs> in that final year, th- this is why you always have to look at the positive side of things, because... Uh, I knew something was coming. I knew that they were probably not going to renew my contract, and I had uh, pivoted and thought, I'm, I'm going to get into some other things. Um, it might not be broadcast because I'm not sure I want to continue to do this. I think it's time to hit the entrepreneurial button on my life and, and see yeah. where that takes me. So that we had done a, a week on board the Disney cruise. Mm-hmm. I got back. It was February 14th. It was Valentine's Day. And finished the show. And a program director comes in and, and says, hey, let's go have a chat. And he said, listen, um, stations in transition, we're, we're about to be sold, can't afford your contract anymore, we're gonna take a different direction, you know, all the same stuff that you hear, yeah. and we're not gonna renew. So they basically bought me out for three or four months, I can't remember what it was. Um, and, and that was fine, I kinda knew it was coming. The next day, I won the Academy of Country Music Award for a major market broadcaster of the year. Uh-huh. <laughs> So, <laughs> so that was you know uh, that was the universe saying you know what you're absolutely right and, and that that's you, you couldn't you couldn't create a better story than that so that's when I decided to turn the page and and uh, move into different areas of my life and that's where I am today. So, what are your adventures now? Maybe tell the audience here on what you're up to and I know I follow Claim to Fame and and uh, tell me what you're excited about now. Well, you know, when I when I got out of radio, I joined an old radio buddy that anybody that lives in the Toronto area and is around my age, which I won't say out loud, um, <laughs> remembers Toronto Rock, uh, uh, a show by the name of Jesse and Gene. Mm-hmm. Jesse Dillon um, was the rock guy at Q107 when I was the country guy at KISS FM. So we knew, we've known each other for 25 years. And he was doing uh, this uh, company, it was his company in, in Vancouver, and somehow we connected I, again. I, in fact, my wife found a book that he wrote in this old bookstore in uh, the Okanagan when we were visiting family and said, don't you know this guy? I said, oh my God, I do. And I, I found a contact phone number in the back of the book and I called him up and we connected again. And he said, listen, I'm doing this uh, this thing in Vancouver. It's a digital marketing company. Uh, what are you doing? I said, well, I just finished the gig. I'm, I'm consulting and I'm working with with broadcasters teaching them and, and some artists teaching them media training and I'm just kind of digging life right now. He said, why don't you come up here and see what I'm doing and see if this this works. And I did and I decided to do that and I joined him and we've been in that project for five years and it's a digital technology company. 
Um, and any description of it other than that would bore you to tears. So I won't, I won't get in there. But we took it public on the TSXV in January of this year. Yeah. Um, so you know the entrepreneurial thing, although it's terrifying and scary all at the same time, it's thrilling and has turned out to be one of the best things I ever did. So that's my main source of, of revenue and income now, and, and supports my family, and we're having a great time doing that. And that's that's been very successful. Uh, a passion project of, my, uh, of mine, which you mentioned, is uh, a music platform built for emerging artists called Claim to Fame. So w- this has been in development for a number of years. Um, we launched it about a year and a half ago with a big contest, gave away a nice chunk of money and some training with uh, two good friends of mine who I got to meet while I was in California, uh, Michael Orland and Pisha McVie. So those names would resonate with you if you've been following American Idol because they're the vocal coach and one of the music producers. So they agreed to basically be the grand prize. We flew a couple of artists down, one of Toronto, uh, one from the U.S., and um, uh, they had the experience of a lifetime. So that's kind of incubated and sitting there, and and, uh, I'm hoping to get some sponsorship revenue dollars in there and we can do another contest and create a platform that maybe a brand would like to embrace and, and use as, you know, one of their marketing tools. Um, and other than that, uh, you know, sitting here chatting to you and catching up and being here at Country Music Week, which is a big part of my life because I'm on the board and I, yeah. I want to continue to do that. And I think just from a, a pay-it-forward standpoint, uh, I love helping and supporting and elevating the lives of artists any way I can. Claim to fame, obviously, is one of them, but you know, anytime I can add some advice or give some guidance, I'm happy to do that. So where, where do you feel the country music industry now sits, especially in Canada? Um, you know, things change all the time. Um, you feeling very positive about it? Or is it, what does it change to the good? Or is mm-hmm. it, what are your thoughts on where it's sitting right now? Well, you know, it's funny. I, I, I feel like I have this, I've had this conversation every decade mm-hmm. at some point because uh, I, I've spent most of my life um, describing country music to people who are country fans, uh, trying to tear down the stereotypes. Yeah. But also support the fact that there's a foundation there that you can't deny. That is the reason country is what it is. So to your question, I think that country's in a great place right now. You know, it, it ebbs and flows between, uh, for some, too popish, and, and then you get into the bro country, and whatever else happens to be the flavor of the day, I think it doesn't really matter. The kind of comes is, and goes. It comes yeah. and goes. And, and what's resonating with the audience today, and that's, I think, really all that matters. So what I've seen as part of this organization for the last year as part of the board of directors is, is the fact that uh, there are so many things changing beyond just the artistry. It's the delivery mechanism. It's broadcast television. It's, you know, how do you reach your audience? Uh, it's fractured because too many people now just aren't watching television anymore. They're, yeah. they're turning to their screens on their phone. There's a generation that hasn't watched cable television. They're getting the content from their phones and their iPads or whatever device they happen to be on. They're on the internet watching, watching stuff. So, or they're getting the clips the next day of the highlights. You exactly. Know? You know, we're, we're living in bites. Yeah. So I, I think that the challenge for every industry, countries, uh, one of them, is that you've got to find ways to distribute and reach that audience wherever they happen to be. And I think that's the difference. Before, you know, in, in my era, we had to sit down at, at 8 o'clock on Thursday night to watch Friends. Yeah. And if we missed it, you had to wait for the repeat. 
you know, now you have your DVRs, but now you can you can watch it anytime you want. There's Netflix, you know. So society is is now at a point where I want the content I want when I want it, as opposed to making me wait for it in any form. That's why we have binge watching. Entire seasons are released at the same time. Um, I'm not sure I'm really giving you an answer on this because I don't know that there is an answer. I, yeah. I, I think what I've seen uh, from an artist standpoint, I'm thrilled with because you know, I'll follow Instagram artists uh, constantly and, and I'm going, wow, there's some amazing talent out there. It's nice to see some of the established Canadian country music artists being able to go out and support big tours, uh, which well, exactly. we haven't seen that for years. Yeah. Well, you've got smart you've got smart business guys in yeah. place. You know, you've got uh, Jim Cressman with Invictus. You know, going and, and negotiating the kind of money that the American acts would get while they're here. Yeah. Uh, but that's going to the George Canyons and the Brett Kissels and and who they should be because they can stand toe to toe with anybody. So it's nice to see that for sure. What do you feel now with any newcomers, new singers, new songwriters, but mostly new singers? Um, it's interesting watching people on Facebook and Instagram, and I find a lot of new artists, it's funny because they they make the same mistakes as the artists did 30 years ago. Sure they do. And yep. even though it's a different world now, mm-hmm. uh, we've got all this other stuff to go by. Um, it's interesting because I, I see the same mm-hmm. mistakes getting made. And it's interesting that there isn't a more available for education, young artists yeah. for education. Yeah, I, I think it's it's interesting that you said that because that's certainly one of the mandates that I've been part of where the CCMA is concerned. I know the Junos are, are implementing some things. There's Here's the challenge. You have to look for it, for sure. Yeah. You know, there are organizations out there that you can learn from. Slate Music, the Junos, uh, CCMAs, uh, there's a Grammy U. I mean, you can find what you need. The challenge is, and I think this is a big challenge for anybody, it, it, because people generally don't invest in themselves yeah. in their own training. You know, and, and with the advent of so much content available to you on screens, there are some great people out there. I, I just did a session with Tamara Beatty, who has been the voice coach for the every season of The Voice. Yeah. She's Canadian. Nobody knows that. Yeah. And she's brilliant. And she sat in a session and took three or four artists through songs that they've written to my ear, because I'm not a musician, even though I was the, uh, not conductor, but I was kind of musical director and, and slash writer for the Tommy Hunter show. Mm-hmm. How I got that job, I can't tell you. Um, but here she is listening to these young artists try to navigate through you know, songs they're struggling with, uh, hooks that could be strengthened in some way. And she literally, in 5, 10, 15 minutes, transformed these artists' music yeah. in a way that was tangible to the audience. We're going, oh my God, that song has just been elevated you know, three, four times from what it, yeah. it was, and it was pretty good at the time. So I think you have to seek out you know, people like Tamara or, or Tom Jackson, who's also part of Country Music Week, who's a, a great performance coach. Yeah. And... Uh, build this into whatever education budget you deem is appropriate for your path and spend that money. And then what we talked about earlier, seek out some people, connect yeah. with them on Instagram or Facebook or whatever, ask them questions. 
yeah, I think that's important. Um, I think we're all, when we get to a certain age, I think you work to get a certain spot and then you get comfortable and then you feel like you just want to be able to pass on your knowledge to somebody else. Absolutely. I think it's important. It's important for you. It's important for your legacy. It's important. It just makes you feel better. Mm-hmm. And, um, but also I think younger entertainers have to be, as you said, have to be open to that. Mm-hmm. And they can't always believe that, okay, they're older, they don't know. I'm younger, I know what's going on now. There's a lot of experience and a lot of years that, that make what we all do important and and really something that a young artist should really grab a hold of. And I don't see enough of that. I don't see enough people asking and coming up and say, can I, can I have 10 minutes of your time and, and Mm-hmm. and ask you a few questions. It's great advice. I mean, uh, take the time to go to an event like the CCMAs. Take yeah. it, take the time to go to the events that are part of what happens at the Junos. And uh, uh, nobody does it better than the CMAs, you know, uh, yeah. and, and there's two events that they do. Yes, you've got the big event for their award show, but then you have CRS, the country radio seminar that's done at a different, different time of year where you've got every A-list and B-list act you can possibly imagine, and every record producer, record rep, uh, radio-connected person are all there to learn. Uh, the seminar series are fantastic. Yes, it's going to cost you something to go there, but again, you're investing in, in your career. And I, I think the challenge is with a lot of young artists is it's, it's all about the song for sure, but if you're going to stand and entertain, this is part of what I got into after I finished with radio is working with young artists to give them some media training. Because just like broadcasters, it's not enough to just turn on the microphone and talk. Yeah, You have to construct a story that's going to engage your audience and keep them listening. So as much as it's, you know, the number one thing is you have to have songs that, that connect and you have to work on your songwriting and your performance, what are you going to say between the songs? Yeah, it's very important. You have to entertain. You have to entertain. You have to think about. Okay, you're gonna. You just wrote a powerful song um, about a love gone wrong. Well, your introduction to that could be as compelling, almost as the song, or at least uh, capture the attention of somebody who maybe was going to start talking to somebody at the moment, or yeah. or you know, y- you've missed an opportunity to turn them into a fan if you haven't taken that moment and not wasted it by just simply, here's another song that goes something like this. Yeah. You know, um, you gotta think about the things that you say. That's a bit of training that's that's hard to get um, and should be more readily available too. Um, But that's, a lot of that's practice too. Mm -hmm. Um, But that, you know, there's a lot that still can be scripted out. I mean, you can script it and be able to deliver without making it sound like it's scripted. You know, you have to be able to know what to say or have an idea. Okay, between this song and this song, how, what can I say? What can I say about this song that makes sense or that's gonna drive you into wanting to listen to the next song and mm-hmm. not, like you said, well, here's another song from, you know, and here's another one. And it gets so boring so quick. And that's, that's where you lose people. It's that in-between stuff. And you take, you know, I wanna go back to, you mentioned Tommy Hunter. Um, the old school guys, they knew they could sit there and Tommy, I mean, could talk for mm-hmm. 10 hours in between songs. Sure. And then 
that audience would be engaged in every single thing he'd say. Um, but that's that's old school. Um, yeah. And that's that's nowadays. It's so you finish the song, drummer hits the loop button, and the track start, and away you go again. And I, there's so much of that. You, I, I find so many concerts I go to now. It just feels like, oh gosh, I didn't, I didn't feel like I connected with that artist at all. Yeah, I enjoyed yeah. it. I yeah. love this. I love the music. They sang great. I, I didn't feel like I connected to them. And I think I feel that's an art that's going out the window a little bit. Yeah, I, I would agree with you. And I, I think that that's the challenge, right? Everybody has a different experience or a different expectation when you see an artist, you know, what you want that performance to be. And from a performance standpoint, you know, what works for me in concert yeah. if, when I'm going to perform. And I, I think the, the thing that is probably the one takeaway would be um, you've got to build to moments. And those moments can be articulated verbally or in your music, but that's the whole point of creating something that's entertaining over the course of time. So if your set's 30 minutes or 40 minutes, and trust me, I'm not the expert in crafting a, a, a set, uh, and that's something I, I would encourage anybody to look up Tom Jackson, mm-hmm. you know, because he is the one guy that's teaching this and doing it at, 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 at a very high level. But he advocates building to moments, building to moments within songs, building to moments within sets, yeah. um, and how you get there is taking your audience on a journey. And you're right, that 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 all takes time, and it takes years of experience, takes years of practice, um, but finding people that can teach this is part of the thing that you have to spend some time researching for sure. So who are you excited about in New Artists, and anyone that's in your wheelhouse that you've you're excited about that's upcoming. I know there's someone you posted the other day on Instagram. I'm trying to remember their name. Uh, two sisters. Oh yeah, and, uh, yeah, yeah. Um, um, and their friend. They're like 18. Yes. I'm trying to remember the name. Yes. I saw that and I clicked on it and I listened to them and I was like, holy. I know. Crap, were they good? You know, it's funny that that's that's really my Instagram feed, which kind of works in, in companion with what we do with the Claim to Fame Instagram feed because we're always yeah. we're looking for artists and, and saying, okay, well, we have a big following. That's that's how promote you. Um, and we just do that because it's it's fun for us and, and we keep the brand alive. But for me personally, it's it's something I just enjoy. So yeah. discovering artists that are what I think are, are doing the right thing on Instagram and, and posting actual content and, and singing and not just images uh, is uh, part of the fun for me. Yes, I'll put some personal stuff up there, but that's not what I, I use social media for. Um, I don't remember their names. I'd have to grab my phone and look, look, look at them. But yeah. Uh, there was another young artist who, uh, what's her name, Jacqueline? Again, I, I, I love finding these people that nobody have, have, have heard of yet. And I, let me give you an example. You and I are talking about, you know, reach out to people, ask them for help, do, do something proactive. So here's a perfect example of that. A young artist who I found, oh my God, you're fantastic. So I just posted it, wrote some stuff. I actually looked up uh, on the internet some background on her to give a little background to somebody that was reading my post and I posted it and sure enough she wrote to me well I found out she's from Hamilton oh wow uh, but she's living in Nashville uh, she has a pretty good following and uh, just started engaging me and I said hey your stuff's really good just let me know if there's any way I can help happy to introduce you to somebody are, are you under contract with anybody have you got a record deal uh, publishing do you write your own stuff well I found that she doesn't have a publisher. She doesn't have a record deal. She's shopping and met with Warner Brothers and Universal. They're interested, nothing yet. She has about 18,000 followers on Instagram, which is pretty good for an artist that isn't oh, yeah. signed anywhere. 
and she's spent some money obviously to do some really professional video I'm like, oh my god you know you're doing everything right I'm happy to introduce you and earlier today I had a conversation with Gilles Goddard who's the president of Olay oh. Publishing yeah. lives in Nashville uh, great Canadian artist but in the United States and is now well he, he was an artist and is a songwriter and now he's uh, a music executive and I said I said dude listen I, I've because I shoot them stuff from time to time. I say, yeah. you've got to look at these people. I, I found this young woman who uh, is local. I think she's terrific. Can I pass your contact information along and see where it goes? He said, absolutely. So when you and I are done, actually, I'm sharing her contact information. And wouldn't that be a great story to see where that that, that went? But yeah. that's a perfect example of uh, happenstance where you know I saw something I liked. Yes, I reposted it. But she reached out to me and said, hey, really appreciate that. Who are you? What do you do? She looked at my bio, saw that I was legit and had, had some history in music. And, uh, you know, and, and I authentically do want to help. And that was that was the case. I'm happy to do that for anybody that wants to shoot me this stuff. It's um, exciting. It is exciting. Yeah. It, it, the, uh, I mean, the Jess Moskalutes and the people who are relevant today and on the radio, I think, are, are exciting. I think they're doing cool things and, and uh, celebrate Paul Brandt, who continues to be relevant um, by touring with these young artists. Yeah. And every bit the star that he was back in the days of I Do and a good friend of mine. You know, So I love the fact that he's reinvented himself and he's decided to go back on the road again and, and, and really... Uh, attack a music career and he, he took kind of a pause there for a while um so i you're you're taxing my memory to now laundry list a, a bunch of well there's a lot and there's a lot, and there's a lot of <laughs> I, I, I just i listened to that that group uh, this morning i can't the, the one thing that i remember about that group is that their name was difficult mm -hmm. and and i can't remember it right now that's the, the thing yeah. it's just like it's a, it, it was a cool name, and I sat there and said, "How do you pronounce that? Mm -hmm. How do you say that?" And right away, it's like, "Ah, oh, mistake number one. Mm -hmm. You got to be able to have something that you remember, or everyone's going to have to be able to pronounce." Not there's there's maybe three different ways you can say this. Well, uh, I, I still don't know if it's Ariana or Ariande. Yeah. It, it's like I think I'm ordering a coffee. So you know the, I agree with you. I think that there's. You know the conversation around branding and, and being memorable is certainly a, a valid and powerful one. And I think at the end of the day, uh, listen, if 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 your music is resonating, if, if you're connecting with your music and you've and it's all about the song, then you are memorable. And yeah. and you can work around names and figuring out that stuff. I guess later on. Yeah, and you. I mean, eventually, if like you said, if you're good and you cut through, people will. You're going to remember it at some sure. point. Yeah. Sure. Yeah, it's exciting. I I love, you know, keeping my feet wet in in, in the industry. And obviously, for me, for what I do now, um, it's different than what I did twenty years ago. Sure. I was, you know, way more immersed and in, um, in the country music touring scene and and all that. But I still love it. Um, still follow it and still have a lot of friends in it. And uh, it's neat to see that it's still really vibrant and country music weeks here and it's in hamilton and uh you have a lot of memories mm -hmm. in hamilton uh especially country music week yeah. and, um it, it's a lot of fun I, I played with shania twain on the country music awards here and uh, before you know she wow. started touring and outs I, I had a podcast with Corey Churko uh, a few uh, podcasts ago and and that's uh 
guitarist from Vancouver who's now been performing with Shania for for years. He's a band leader and he's a fellow Canadian. It's like it's it's pretty neat. Yeah. And you look at really how well um, the Canadian artists have done um, and for our size of our population. Mm-hmm. And the challenge of being an artist in Canada um, and being able to make a living doing it. Because it's tough. I mean, touring in Canada is really difficult. And once you tour Canada, once you've done it, where else are you going to go? I mean, it, it's you can't, you're in the U.S., you just go to the next state or you go, there's there's a hundred times more, probably a thousand times more places to play. Uh, but it's exciting to see a lot of Canadians doing well. I follow Lindsay L. a lot on on Instagram. Oh, and Lindsay, of course, yeah, fantastic. Yeah, well, you, you, I'll tell you what's interesting about what you just said, though, is is that the, uh, I mean, we're always looking for the positive spin when it comes to supporting country music. Yeah. We have my entire life. But uh, numbers don't lie. And the streaming numbers for country music in this country are outpacing every other genre almost two to one. Wow. And that's just, that's from the Nelson organization. And that's, we're not, we still have four months to go in the year. Yeah. Right. So um, I think that's a very powerful statistic that supports the fact that not only is this music being embraced by more and more people, but they're gravitating to the new technology or the new platforms that uh, make this music uh, available to the fans. That has to speak to the ability to make money from those opportunities beyond the traditional, okay, we've got to hit the road, we've got to sell merch, and we've got to sell CDs from the stage. Um, You know, there's opportunities and verticals to get your content out regardless of the platform, whether it's Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, Snapchat, YouTube. Um, You know, before you had one choice, you had radio. And maybe you had television if you got to a certain point in your career. Now, I've got six places. Okay, well, let's add the streaming services, Spotify, Pandora, you know, Apple Music. Name all of those. Now as an artist, there are, there's 10 verticals of distribution points for my music, all of which, depending on what happens, can be a revenue stream for yeah. me. And uh, to me, that would be an exciting place to be as I'm looking at a career ahead of me. How do I make make money with my, my music? So, oh, okay, well, there's... If I do all this right, and I've got to learn how to do this correctly, and put the right people around me, and ask the right questions, then then I should be successful at this. Yeah, because you think twenty years ago, getting that record deal was your only choice, mm-hmm. um, and getting an a Nashville record deal, was, of which they owned you, yes, and you never made any money from it. Yeah, and that old paradigm is changing. Thank God. Right? Yeah, and now. I mean, the options are really endless. It's pretty exciting for a new artist. Um, you know, they probably don't understand how difficult it was 20 years ago to to get on the radio. Uh, I mean, it still is, mm-hmm. but you know, you didn't have all those extra bumps, right? You didn't have 18,000 people on Instagram following you to give you that self that bump, right? Um, and it's exciting. I think that's it's great, and it's giving a little bit more power back to the artist. Um, and that's important. I think it's, you know, you see so many times and you hear all the stories from years ago. We can, we can probably name off a dozen Canadian acts that got American deals and, and it went nowhere, mm-hmm. you know, and they got shelved or they got held up and they got, 
you know, all those things. And you, you think you get that big American deal and you know, it works for some people, but then it, it's a tough grind. You, you know. Well, I, yeah, I, listen, I, I don't think there's, nobody has the roadmap. No. There is no roadmap. You know, you become a star because something goes viral on YouTube. Who knows? Um, something blows up on Instagram. Yeah. You are lucky enough to get a radio hit. Um, but as an artist, I can record my content. I can publish my content. And all I really need to spend is whatever it took for me to produce that track. Yeah. I don't need a record deal. I don't need a record company. I don't need a distribution deal. I don't need a publisher. You know, I can record that on my device and publish that to YouTube right now for free or to Apple Music or iTunes or whatever it happens to be. I mean, that's really putting the power back in the artist's hands where it should be, frankly. You yeah. know, and there's, uh, I, you know, we're not, we're not in my home province, so I don't have access to this amazing book from a lawyer who has navigated this space on the other side for artists and tells the horror stories and nightmares that you have to avoid if you ever get to the point where you want to sign a a deal with a record company. And he does that by framing up the fact that here's how the industry used to work. And when you read that and realize what generations of artists of every level had to go through and to sign and to to, uh, sacrifice for financially when the companies uh, made all the money, it's frightening. Yeah, it really is. Yeah. Well, I know we both want to get over to uh, the Legends show tonight. Yes. Can't and wait. that should be a good one. Mm-hmm. And uh, I appreciate your time. Pleasure. Uh, it's been a lot of fun catching up again. Uh, I really respect you and what you've done in the industry and is still doing in industry. Um, you know, you think of, I want to say, radio personalities in Canada. And, you know, your name shoots right to the top. Oh, well, and, thank you. And, You've done a lot for the industry and still are, and I think everyone who'd be listening would be really appreciative of that. And uh, we know hopefully, again, we can meet up and continue some conversation. Anytime. You made this extremely easy. So, yeah, I'd love to be back anytime. Yeah. All right, everybody, uh, make sure. What's the best way to touch base with with you, Cliff, if anyone wants to uh, reach out to you? Sure. Well, you know, you could see some of the artists that I'm following that I couldn't remember right now because they're they're all brand new, but uh, people I, I really enjoy. Instagram's at... Cliff Dumas, first and last name. Uh, website, cliffdumas.com. Uh, all my contact information is up there. Uh, emails, cliffdumas at gmail.com. <laughs> yeah. You know, so I, I'm pretty transparent, easy to get a hold of if you need to. Super. Awesome. Thanks again, and we'll catch you next time. Thank you. Thanks. Thanks.